All right, cool, man. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. This is uh, I'm super excited to dive into everything, dive into your story, man. We uh, got connected through IG and pretty much right away, right when I saw your content, I just connected with a lot of it, really resonated with me. And I think you have a ton of value to offer, not only to me, but to any of the people who choose to listen. So if you want to introduce yourself, man, I'll let you introduce yourself and just kind of tell tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently, and then maybe we can dive into a little bit of your story. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so Dylan Warder, uh, I currently run a company called I Believe in You. So it's this bracelet here. So the bracelets are designed to be worn until you're inspired to give them away. And then inside the patch is an NFC tag. So you tap to the back of your phone, it opens up our app. And right there we could document you know, how we met, why I was inspired to give it to you, maybe leave a positive message for the next person. So that one's for you. Oh, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Um, I actually got two packs for you right here. Oh, thank you, so, bro. Yeah. Oh, these are sick, dude. Uh, so they're really, they're designed to be worn, so you're inspired to give it away. And uh, say you and I meet in a coffee shop or anywhere in the world, and through our conversation, maybe I learned that you're going through something stressful, depression, uh, cancer, maybe a divorce, a breakup, anything on the negative side, or maybe something on the positive side. Maybe you just quit your job to pursue a dream finally, or maybe you just graduated college, going to the workforce. Anything where I would be inspired to tell you I believe in you and leave you with something as a reminder to keep going. I take it off my wrist, I give it to you, you tap to the back of your phone, and that's when, once you document on it, whether we do it together or you do it later, because sometimes it's in passing and it's a quick exchange. Once you do that, say six people had it before me, You'll be able to see everywhere it's traveled in the world on its way to you, who's had it, and stories and impact it's made on their life. And then once you give it away, you'll forever get to see where it goes, who gets it, and the impact it continues to make. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you Thank for giving this to me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Bro. I, uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research on I Believe in You. I, I really like, I saw like one of your guys' descriptions or, or whatever, like one of the little paragraphs that you were describing the company, and it said like it integrates, where one of the missions is to integrate technology with, I can't remember how you worded it, but with like, just human compassion. connection yeah something yeah. like that and yeah. i think i think that's really cool to see man i think it's i haven't seen anything like that before at least i haven't but um yeah i think the the overall idea is super powerful and um super interesting how'd you get started with i believe in you where, where did the idea come from because it's a really cool idea thanks so it's not my idea but i've played a, a large role in the development of where it's at now uh the idea came from my business partner braxton who was speaking at a middle school of 1,500 kids. And the day before the principal called, it's like, hey, Braxton, we're super excited to have you. Just want to kind of remind you what some of these kids are going through. <clears throat> she speaks for 10 minutes. And at the end, he says, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. And very quickly, he realizes he wrote the wrong speech and he has a much bigger responsibility than he realized because these kids were going through some shit. So he had a apparel company at the time prints out a uh, stack of 1,500 stickers that say, I believe in you on them. It's really like these kids needed hope. They needed just somebody to believe in them. So he does a speech, hands out the stickers, and tells the kids, I believe in you, but these aren't for you. Pass these to a friend, a teacher, your parents when you get home, the mailman, doesn't matter. Pass this message to somebody else. Very quickly, uh, that went viral in the school. Principal calls back a few days later, tells him we've never had our kids treat each other this kindly, treat the community this kindly. We got community members calling in, asking for more, the whole thing. That, long story short, turned into a bracelet that then 
because of the impact of the bracelet, stories come in of people not committing suicide because in this last moment, some random person gives them this bracelet and tells them, I believe in you. It all started to stack up and Braxton realized that everybody else needed to be able to see the stories that were being sent to him. He was being tagged 100 times on Instagram and social media daily. And so it very quickly took off, went viral, NBC News, NFL Network, everybody gets behind it. This was like seven years ago. Okay. And... He's like 20 years old. That's crazy. He has no idea what he's doing, really. Just a brilliant idea and a big heart. Grew up in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, and doesn't know anything about business. Doesn't know what to do with this like idea that's picking up so much traction. So he ends up being in a position where he can't afford the app. Bracelet sales aren't going to generate enough revenue for it. He doesn't really... He's not in a position where he can really trust anybody because everybody sees this gold mine and wants a piece. So he painfully puts it on pause to go learn business and ends up scaling a marketing agency over the last six years. And along the way, eventually hoping to meet the right people to build it with him. And so we he ended up driving from moving from Texas to here and on his way in the like middle of New Mexico in a Penske truck texts uh, or DMs my, myself and my business partner, Joey, telling us that he's coming out and uh, wants to meet up. And so we meet, become best friends for a whole year. And then he finally tells us about this business that he's had on pause for like five years at that point. What was your reaction when he finally told you? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, it, 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 and the thing is, like, we were out to dinner and... He had never told us about it. We're spent like we're like brothers at this point. We yeah, spent yeah. the majority of a year together, and he uh, wears he's wearing this bracelet at dinner. I brought a bunch of CEOs and founders, um, some other clients together for a dinner, and I'm sitting next to him at dinner. I see the bracelet, and it says, "I believe you." And I'm like, "Dude, where'd you get that? That's so dope." And he was reluctant to tell me, and finally, I get it out of him. And he starts telling me this whole story in much more detail. Him and I are both choking up at dinner, like about to cry. And I'm like, you got to tell the entire table right now. <laughs> and then because... You're that guy, huh? Like, oh, 100%. <laughs> like, you, this, everybody has to hear this. <laughs> and a part of the issue was that he couldn't afford the app. And so I had an app developer at the end of the table. Immediately brought him down, introduced him to him, and I felt like I could facilitate this deal. Couple weeks go by, he kind of like brushed it off. Couple weeks go by, I show up at his office. I'm like, "Listen, bro, let me let me just put a dinner together, facilitate something like that." Guy's got it. Not only is, uh, he's not not only is he like minded, but he's like hearted. I think I can I can figure something out for you. And just I just wanted to help. And it's like 2021. We're coming off of 2020. Like the world needs this shit. Yeah. And he said no. I'm like, well, what do you want? And he said, I want you and Joey to partner with me and take it to the moon. And at that point we were scaling our consulting company conversions and that was the day that that company started to die. Really? <laughs> yeah, because we're, you know, that we were both on the same mission, we were just taking a different route and this, you know, it's the whole idea of I like cast a vision that's that's or that's an umbrella that encompasses other people's visions and you'll bring in A players to to deliver the, you know, complete that mission. Yeah. And that's exactly what he had done. Uh, so yeah, we've been building it for two and a half years now. 
uh, got our investors. We got the app built. It's in stores and Google, Apple. Uh, we did a limited release in May just to get bracelets out there, get feedback on the app, figure out all the tweaks and everything before we say yes to all the insane relationships that we've been building over the years with A-list celebrities and uh, companies like First Form. I saw it was in your uh, bio, things like that. So that's uh, right, right, right now we're probably about three months out from launch. We got a few more features. We got to get into the app to really make it what we want it to be, to confidently say yes to big brands that want to release it into their, you know, uh, subscription boxes or into their organization for mental health initiatives and things of that nature. So we're almost there. It's been a long road and it's taught us a lot of patience and a lot of delayed gratification, but we're, we're close. Yeah. So seven years, right? You said that's like, yeah, seven years for him. It's been two and a, we've been building it with Braxton for two and a half. We're coming up on three years. And now. you're just now getting ready to launch. Yeah. Damn, man. That's a, yep. that's a journey for sure. Yeah. Where did, uh, like, I went and did a little bit of research into your story, man. Uh, you got a pretty interesting story. Let's let's take it back to kind of like the beginning of like your story, man. If you if you want to talk a little bit about it, yeah. I read your you know your blog and everything like that, and I think it's there's a lot of value there. So I don't know where you want to start it at, but just like where did everything start for you, you know? Okay. Uh, I guess childhood wise, condensing the first probably twenty years of my life very quickly. Grew up somewhat rough, uh, only white kid at the community center. Uh, arrested first time was, or my first arrest was at 13 years old. Was arrested four times between 13 and 18 for burglary, which ironically was a police officer's house. Oh wow! <laughs> and he came home while we were inside. Oh wow! In his police car, not knowing we were there. Oh my god, that's and that's I'm like crazy. standing in the in this big bay window, and he pulls in, and it was a whole thing. But so that was first one. Then I had fights, drug charges. Last one was literally in the middle of a varsity soccer game i was captain a huge fight broke out and i sprinted across the across the field to like protect my guys and ended up like in full sprint superman punched this dude in the face and split his face open and they ended up pressing charges yeah a real real fight yeah 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 yeah. um so but during that time period growing up at the community center only white kid i had very diverse group of friends uh you know, we'd be walking at night and police would stop us and they'd treat me different. And I knew it was because I was white. They treated me better and it pissed me off. Uh, NYPD, I think my second or third arrest, NYPD beat the shit out of me. I had a lot of negative experience with the police and I had my older cousin, Jenna, who babysat me all the time, ingrained the be the change you wish to see in the world quote into my head. And so eventually getting pissed off at all these experiences, knowing that part of them were my fault, but also being treated poorly by the police unwarrantedly, I realized, okay, well, somebody needs to do this job better. And it's gotta be, so, like, it's gotta be me. Like, I gotta do this. And so I pursued that while also pursuing uh, military, but because of my criminal record, I was getting denied from every branch of military every two years. I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. Got denied from probably 50 plus police departments. Damn. And then New Orleans was finally desperate enough to take me. Okay, so this was in New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I went through the police academy, seven months, came out, and about three weeks into 
me being on the job as a rookie, riding with a field training officer, one of the guys on my platoon was shot and killed. I did a the shift before him, did a bad search on a guy who had been shooting at his girlfriend, and they put him in the car not knowing he had a gun on him. Wow. They were at the end of their shift, didn't want to take him to lockup, so they gave it to, gave the prisoner to uh, one of our officers that was just coming on, and they pulled away a few blocks from the station, oh, to retrieves a gun, shoots him, kills him, climbs out of the car, escapes, and a manhunt ensues. 24 hours later, I find myself by myself in a foot chase with him and catch him without having to hurt him. Damn. So, yeah, FBI was super happy with me, department was super happy with me as this rookie that, you know, did everything by the book and caught him. And that very unfortunate experience kind of put my career on the fast track in a way. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And you, uh, when did you join this? I know you joined the SWAT team, correct? Yeah, so the that was for the last year plus of my career. So from the point where the kind of, you know, this, I get awards for everything that kind of took place, end up getting put on task force. I get to do joint task force work with DEA, ATF, Homeland Security, really every... Uh, three letter acronym that you can think of and got to do, you know, undercover work, uh, f you know, undercover human trafficking operations, really got to do everything that I grew up seeing in the movies and more. And then October 2013, so, or I'm sorry, October 13, 2017, so almost six years ago, it'll be six years ago Friday, my partner was shot and killed covering my shift yeah. uh, and so he he took my spot that night because I, it was the only day i took off all year to and it was to go to my cousin's bachelor party okay and so uh, the one night you took off your partner yeah, died wow. all year so i went 10 months not taking off a day of work and uh yeah the only day all year and uh from i was drinking a beer when I got the call and I didn't stop drinking for 150 days straight five full months of just self-destruction right and I was still you know I was keeping myself distracted so at work I was still doing a great job working 16 18 hours a day sometimes 24-hour shifts because of the type of cases we were working and the uh so I got I ended up getting on the SWAT team and I was in a specialized unit within the SWAT team called the Tiger Unit. So it was Tactical Information Gathering Emergency Response Team. So we really just handled emergency, I'm sorry, not emergency, uh, serial armed robberies, serial shootings, and serial murders. Okay, gotcha. So a lot of what I did was covert work, uh, undercover operations, covert surveillance. I've spent 16 hours a day following around hitmen and... Uh, just the worst of the worst, waiting for to get them in the right location where we could do a takedown and uh, capture them. So. Damn, man, what was what was like? Your, like, what do you take away from your time in the police? You know, like overall, like looking back on it, how long have you been out of there for? Like, you said three about three years. I left the beginning of 2019 and end of 2018, beginning of 2019. So just before COVID. Yeah, yeah. a year before, year or so before that. Gotcha. So. 
like looking back Life on four. it all like what, what are some takeaways that you like just curious man with that experience with experiencing all of that like what do you take away from it you look back on it and are you like overall like you glad you glad you went through all that 100 percent. yeah very very grateful for the experience it played i see a very large purpose that it played in my life and i think that it's only going to become more obvious as life happens for me how much of a role that played because it it gave me it took a lot away from me um it took away peace of my heart i thought i'd never get back and who i was when i walked away was a completely different human being i was 50 pounds overweight uh 50 pounds heavier than i'd ever been in my life i was like 212 213 just large dude just rolls bro uh, and it was all just whiskey and stress. Yeah. That's all it was. I was depressed. Uh, I'd experienced depression for the first time. For me, before that, I didn't really understand why, like, what depression was. I'm like, just be happy. What are you talking about? Yeah. Even though I was uh, a very angry person by the time that ended, I, during that five months after he was killed, I spent, you know, however long at work, I'd, I'd, on my way home, I'd stop and get a bottle of whiskey. And I'd pull up in uh, front of my house and I'd sit there and cry and sometimes drink that whiskey. And then I'd eventually go inside to face my now ex-fiance. And then I'd drink and slash cry myself to sleep for maybe an hour or two, wake up, go back into the living room and drink some more and stare at my gun, contemplating and uh, wishing it was me. And so I... I really was more so indirectly suicidal. Like I wasn't going to do it myself. And and it almost became clear to me. I wasn't necessarily aware of it. So instead of me doing it, I kept putting myself in a position at work for it to happen to me. Right. Yeah. So I started pushing the limits, not not operating tactically or safely, where in a in a foot chase with a with a guy with a gun, usually you they're gonna they're gonna come back like this and try to shoot you. They're not gonna turn around this way. So you play the opposite side of the the side that's the um, you play the side that's opposite of what what gun what the gun side. Sorry. Okay, I got you. Um. So when I'm running behind a guy and his guns in his right hand, I would typically play to the left side to make it harder for him to shoot me, but. I started playing to the gun side, making it easier. So if he was going to shoot me, I was going to make it easier for him. Uh, and which, in a way, was being suicidal. Car chases, 110 miles an hour down side streets by myself with an armed carjacking vehicle. You got three cats in there that are 15, 16, 17 years old with Glocks with the drum on it jumping out like crash the car, jump out and run into the block. And instead of me setting a perimeter, putting things out over the radio... I'm just right behind them, running through, hopping the fence, knowing that they could be waiting for me on the other side. And I was just rolling the dice left and right. And that's probably not like ideal for the people around you, huh? Like your Nobody, no. It was yeah. selfish. It was stupid. There was no part of that that was uh, badass or anything. It yeah. was fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up having a past life aggression my ex fiance at the time got me it for christmas 
And uh, do you know what past life regression is? Uh, no, so don't. it's, I was super skeptical because I didn't believe in anything at the time, but it's on the, in the spiritual realm of things. Okay. So basically a Tibetan, uh, I forget the actual name of it, but they facilitate a meditation and actually brings you into experiencing some of your past lives. So oh, you could sure. see what the past lives were. And how was that experience? wild yeah uh, especially so she knew that i was skeptical so she booked under uh under a random name so that way i couldn't be like oh they looked you up and then found me and blah blah, blah. so i couldn't there's no explanation that i could come up with as to why it wasn't real gotcha. and she knew that and so to make it a very uh, a much shorter story she walks me through one life it was very unclear why i was there and so she walks me out of it and, and basically uh, says that now we'll walk into the past life of yours that is most important for you to understand right now. And I immediately was laying on a cold cement slab, freezing, like wet, kind of dungeony basement energy. And I could feel kind of this like blindfold over my eyes. I could feel this like steel over my head and then steel on like cold steel on my wrists cold steel over, over my right above my knee as well as my ankles and knew that i was basically like bolted down oh shit and what was interesting is i wasn't scared it was like i i chose to be there and it was at first it was just this like experience and then it started to feel like a memory and that was what I'm like, really like, I still get kind of chills thinking about it. But eventually it became more clear and more clear what that memory was. And then all of a sudden my hand gets chopped off. Oh shit. <laughs> and then right at the arm and then at the knee. And I just burst out crying and I'm like, dude, bawling my eyes out ugly heaving crying and it all comes in in this very clear memory that i chose to be there so that my family could survive another day wow and what was the part that i was really trying to like block out was this other detail that it was actually so that they could eat really holy crap and it just was so intense that she ends up pulling me out of it. And that that wasn't on like any substances, was no, it? No, nothing. Was just like no, breathing dude. and meditation. And I had never been able to even meditate. That's crazy. I had been trying to meditate for years yeah. as a police officer, but I would just see the dead bodies or uh, flashes of the car chases, foot chases, shootings, whatever, you know. Did she walk you through like a, like breath exercises? How how'd you get to that state? She so she were, she basically moved, and it's interesting because I I do this now with Reiki clients and stuff, but. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I do that we didn't touch on, right? Like my coaching and all that. But with the Reiki stuff, uh, it, it was a very similar process where she basically would have, she had me relax uh, the, the scalp okay. and then my ears and my facial structure and really like loosen it, my throat, like taking the tongue off the roof of my mouth because it was pressed to it, which we naturally do, which then helps relax me more and moved all the way down, helping me relax my entire body. 
And by the end, she then said, like, okay, we're going to walk you th uh, into this space. You're going to see this fog. And, uh, and then eventually that fog is going to clear and you will be in this past life. And so th the first one is actually I was standing at attention. I was freezing my ass off, standing at attention. And I was outside and there was a... Uh, lantern light on a porch in the distance and I and I knew immediately that I was guarding something and there was a very important building behind me and as it kind of went on I felt this weight on my right side and then eventually it was obvious that it was a sheath or the sword and then it was like very clear that it was like kind of the beginning of my shift and I wasn't going anywhere nothing was happening I couldn't do anything I wasn't supposed to move kind of thing and so that was why she walked me out of it okay gotcha. yeah uh, so that was that was really the experience, which was like why it was so wild to me. Yeah. Somebody who's super skeptical, doesn't believe in anything at all. Yeah, that was like a, a paradigm shift, I guess you could say. Yeah. Just that there's yeah. more out there than than just the, the, the shit you've been through. Yeah. 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 That, that that cracked the door open for me. Yeah, for sure. And then yeah. the next few years were wild, wild, even even more wild experiences that yeah. that took place. But yeah. how'd you uh, like talking about the the state of depression that you kind of went through and all that alcohol and everything like that. How'd you, how'd you get through that? Cause for mm. me, I had a period of my life where I was kind of on the verge, I guess you could say of like alcoholic. And I'm just curious how you push through that. Cause you know, alcohol is, especially in our society and you know, in America, you know, it's, it's heavily pushed on everybody, you know, yeah. drink, you know, it's just people just drink just because, you know, like how'd you get through the alcohol and the depression, man? So uh, I, I want to answer that, but I want to backtrack real quick because I, I forgot that one of the most important parts of that entire uh, okay, story is when she pulled me out and had me sit up and let me breathe and stop crying she 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 had asked me to like walk walk her through what was happening so she knew what i was experiencing when i was experiencing it which is crazy that i could be externally communicating with somebody and internally still like experiencing this thing which yeah. even now I, I struggle to do uh, but when she finally asked me like was i okay to talk the first thing that she asked me was do you believe yourself to be a vigilant person in this lifetime i'm like i am a police officer and you just saw it on her face and she goes your soul has already made the ultimate sacrifice you're not supposed to do it in this lifetime oh shit. and i was ready to i was but i was pushing every day rolling the dice and by ultimate sacrifice she meant like suicide or just dying yeah like okay, and so you. because i wouldn't do it myself i was trying to do it on the job in a oh. way where getting killed by somebody else or like I see what you mean. right yeah. um and so that hit me so hard i went started crying again because i realized like what a idiot i was in a way i wasn't there wasn't a, a necessarily compassion in that moment for myself it was like dude what have you been doing right and uh so that was a huge wake up call for me and then i started to go back to operating tactically at work and uh not doing stupid shit while i was in car chases or foot chases or being shot at or whatever right so did that kind of get you out of like the depression and, and all of that no oh, okay no so i i was still very much suffering from survivor's guilt and even till today, like I just had a three hour healing session last night and it came up and I'm like, wow, I thought I moved through that. And it's still, there's still some stuff there. So 
I ended up at the end of this five months, it was like right around this Lent, uh, which I don't really know the, all the dates and everything of that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but there's usually like they do 40 day challenges during that time. And so there was a 40 day challenge that my uh, ex had asked me to do with her. And it was a alcohol free challenge where you work out every day. And so during that five months, I stopped. Uh, and all I did was drink. I stopped working out, which I, I was when it happened, I was training. I was working 12 hours a day and I would go train martial arts for three, four hours. And on the weekends, I'd be fighting and shooting at the range. Yeah. So I was in insane shape. Yeah, you were getting after it. Yeah, every day. So I was just preparing for mm -hmm. the fucking worst. So I was, I was, there was dudes trying to kill me that I'd be fighting over guns and shit. So I just like, I was just training for it right. every day. Yeah. And all of a sudden, stopped working out, stopped eating well. I was punishing myself. I was watching the body camera footage watching him get murdered over and over and over again uh, to a point where like I can still, I can, you and I are talking right now. I can watch it and I can see the entire thing playing out right now and I can hear it. I can hear his, his last sound that he ever made. Yeah. The entire thing is ingrained in my brain and I was punishing myself because I wasn't there. And I also felt this like disconnect between my, me and my guys because my guys were there. And so this challenge comes up and I know I have to get my shit together. Uh, like I have, uh, I've basically a uh, ticket written already for me to do anything I want in my career, but I'm in full self-destruct mode. My relationship is being destroyed. I'm destroying everything besides my career at this point. And that's probably next. Yeah. And so I ended up committing to it and went 40 days, no alcohol. At the time we did blood work. And my blood work, before we started the challenge, the doctors thought I had hepatitis. No shit. Because my liver enzymes were so high. Damn. Yeah. So you were, you were drinking for real. Dude, I'm, I was, yeah, yeah. I was putting down whiskey, bourbon yeah. every day. So that started it. But then w during that 40 days, I, I get my spot on the SWAT team. Now we're working, you know, every morning I'm up at 3 a.m., we're in the war room for a briefing to go execute a high-risk warrant. And then I'm back working out two hours a day right there in the, in the uh, SWAT compound with the guys. No results because of the stress. And I'm still drinking every night. Okay. And then we get done working on a Friday. If we didn't have a SWAT role or some crazy shit, we'd go drink together. And I'd just be continuing that. But... It wasn't from the same exact place, or at least I wasn't telling myself that. So uh, it felt like I was making progress. There's a lot of lies to myself. Mm -hmm. And so it actually wasn't until at the end of that year, December, first week of December 2018, my cover was blown during an operation. Yeah. Gotcha. And I. From there, they, there was... How was your... Can you explain, like, how, how your cover was blown? So, we were... I didn't know my, co my cover had, had been blown for days. And I didn't know. So, it was a Wednesday, and... What was your... Um, sorry to interrupt, but what was your, like, task? Like, what was your mission as an undercover cop? What so were you assigned it, to do? So, this was more so uh, covert surveillance, so I was dressed up as either a crackhead or a construction worker and was 
sitting in the neighborhoods, get more so gathering a lot of intel. Gotcha. But then a lot of times the target would disappear and I would be have to be prepared to use the cover to go in and kind of interact with uh, the the people in that area in order to keep an eye on them, gain more intel, uh, whatever the case was. Just kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so the that day, uh, that Wednesday, we had I had found one of the cars of twelve that uh, were stolen from a Hertz rental car company the night before and i was following it through the neighborhood and all of a sudden they all came together and they were like wolf packing i don't don't know if they were getting ready to do a shooting what but a bunch of cars riding through neighborhoods together and they're all stolen so got my my unit on the radio my unit was 23 detectives that were also swat operators like cream of the crop so we can't they kind of converged on the on the area and they ended up going to a corner house and they pulled it into, they had this gate and they pulled all the cars into, into the backyard so they couldn't be seen. And I stupidly, which now it doesn't really matter, at this point it didn't matter, I just didn't know it. I ended up throwing my vest on, grab my rifle and go secure the front door out of my, what's called a cool car, which was my undercover car, it was like a 98 uh tourist that was didn't even have like mirrors on it and shit gotcha. i was dressed up as a crack crack at that day. yeah so <laughs> uh we ended up hitting the house and they were all barricaded in one room with a bunch of ak-47s ar-15s like shit ton of guns and this house is like this was one of the f- first times that i was like truly in the moment actually scared because i never was until afterwards i'd be like oh fuck like that was a close call right but we're sitting on the other side of this door and the house is made of paper and shade and we're just waiting for rounds to start coming through this fucking door and they end up finally giving up we get them all out a bunch of dudes wanted for multiple homicides all sorts of shit we got them all sitting out on the curb hooked up and there's cars rolling by old cats uh that are just like doing this and we realized that we we kicked open or we kicked an anthill that we didn't realize like what we had really got ourselves into and so the my entire unit takes all the guys back to the SWAT compound for interrogation and my dumbass decides to go look for the last car it wasn't like that stupid but at the same time my entire unit's there and the district units are occupied taking calls for service shit like that so i don't really have any immediate backup yeah it's just you for the most part yeah and nobody really knows that i'm out there and i'm at a red light and a black infinity all blacked out pulls up next to me and car or the window rolls down to like here and i can only see his eyes and he looks directly at me and says you don't think i know who the fuck you are and at this point I got my rifle here and I'm just like, just in, like where all I have to do is pop it up just a little bit and I'm and I'm above the, the window. And I this was still at a time where I clearly was still slightly somewhat suicidal or just screws loose, punishing myself, whatever. Cause I'm like, do what you gotta do, bro. Do what you gotta do. I see movement in the backseat. I probably got three, four guns on me and I can't, and I don't even know. Yeah. 
And so we're going back and forth at this red light talking shit. And I just keep saying, do what you got to do, do what you got to do. Kind of like egging him on. And he said, I'm going to let you slide today. But next time I see you, it's on site. Which means like on site, there's no conversation. We're going to sh- we're gonna shoot you or shoot at you, whatever. And then he rips through the red light right in front of me. So that's like right under the, he goes under the interstate, gets caught at the other light and uh, ends up pulling like he was going to turn on the interstate and ends up pulling right behind me as I pass him. So now they're behind me. Damn. Go up. I'm at a stop sign. And there's a bunch of cars behind me. There's two lanes. And I just sit there and I'm waiting for him to pull back up. Which, like, again, very stupid. Not smart. Not at all. There's nothing cool or badass about it. Kind of reiterate that because people's responses before have been like, oh, shit, like, it's pretty badass. Like, no, it's fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. And now he's on this side. So I only have my pistol because I can't use my rifle. And I didn't have the MP5 at the time. So uh, I wait and... Window rolls down, and here we are again. And I'm saying, do what you got to do, do what you got to do. Almost trying to get him to, to open up on me. And I'm not in a position where that would probably work out for me, especially if I got those dudes in the backseat with guns, probably Draco's, like, short AKs, because they would hit the trains that would come through New Orleans that have guns, and so they'd have really short AK-47s on the streets all day. And... It ends up this cat and mouse game for another five minutes. And I don't say shit on the radio. Again, stupid. And then finally, I break off and I head, head back to the compound. Walk in the door. And I'm there's outside the interrogation rooms, there's this video. And it has audio. So you could see the interrogation. And sergeant's like, watch this shit. And the dude says, first thing he says... Before y'all say anything, I want you to know I saved that white boy's life on Monday. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I saved that white boy's life on Monday, and I want y'all to remember that. I'm like, okay, explain what you're talking about. So Monday, two days prior to this, I'm sitting in these projects, apartment housing area, watching these dudes. And they're in an alleyway. And at some point during this, they start looking my way. But behind me in the parking lot, there's people way back there. And, like, I've been doing this for a while. I'd really dress up and I'm in character. And, like, I'm, I'm good at this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't think any, like, I'm like, nah, they're not. Like, I'm not, I'm not blown. So, <laughs> so they disappear for a second. And they come back out. And they're walking straight towards me. And at this point, like, I don't know. So I get my rifle. I kick my, my uh, seat back a little bit. And I'm just waiting. And right as they're about to break the alleyway out into the parking lot, there's this other small alleyway that intersects. And this one dude comes out. And I remember seeing them all talk. They looked over at me, which felt like it was actually directly at me. And then he pointed the opposite way. And they walked the opposite way, all of them. Gotcha. And, you know, later that day, when I was done, I left. And continued following them for the next two days and until that where he actually pulled up on side of me right gotcha so in the interrogation room he said he tells them that the dudes that were looking at me when they disappeared they went to go get their ak's oh okay they okay. had the small draco under right. and, I, and i remember seeing something like i knew they had a gun on him but everybody had a gun that we dealt with so 
he told me that they went to get their guns and they were on their way out to the parking lot to just open up and try to kill me because they, they knew who I was. Right, yeah. And so it turns out the dude that pulled up next to me, I had arrested him years prior for an armed robbery. Oh, okay. So, he yeah, he already knew who you were. But I treated him well. Once I got the cuffs on him after the fight, I treated him like everybody else with respect. And that probably saved my life. Yeah. But, yeah, so it turns out that that day, two days prior, they're about to kill me. And so the what the dude said, he's like, he's straight up, he's like, he told them, he's like, listen, we're about to hit the Hertz rental car place tonight. And we're bringing all those cars back here. So you can't make this place hot. So y'all can kill him, but wait till he leaves. So he, he green-lighted me, but he, he told him not to do it there. And I actually remember as I was pulling out, there was a car behind me, but there was a, an actual marked unit that didn't know anything about me or that was there that was pulling in. And they probably got spooked and, and pulled off. Because they probably would have like, caught me another block away, just pulled up on side of me and opened up. Damn. Yeah. Man, I'm getting fired up just listening to this. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was crazy. I was very, very lucky. But I was, dude, I was so protected. Yeah. Like, no, it's, now, it sounds now like Now looking it, back, dude, I, I did so much wild shit. We had so many. It was a time where we were averaging like seven car chases a day. Yeah, man. It makes you wonder like, you know, when all these people around you are, are dying and getting killed in that kind of profession, like maybe it's just something above is just protecting you, you know? Yeah. Because it's like any, it could be you at any day. Yeah. I'll tell you another, another thing because you asked earlier what else I took away from it. And the other big thing was intuition. I didn't know what intuition was when I was on, on the job as a police officer, but I, I knew I had these gut feelings. And it probably saved me, my partner, and everybody else in my unit's life a lot of times because I would turn a block, turn the corner on a block, and see a dude, and I knew immediately whether he was going to comply whether he was going to run, whether he was going to try to fight us, or he was going to try to shoot at us. And 100% of the time, I fucking was right. And it, and I didn't realize what that was until later on. It was, and, and then I'll, when I started to learn about intuition and went on the spiritual journey and started to eat well and increase the connection in my body with, with my intuition and my gut instincts and everything, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, this is what that was. This is the same feeling I had, but now I'm able to use it to navigate business and relationships and, and just situational awareness. And that was something that I realized I've had my entire life i yeah. just didn't know what it was i've heard somebody describe intuition as the authentic voice of god mm, yeah. yeah yeah i yeah. mean which is probably like if th that's definitely uh a, a great way to put it because like something is communicating with me yeah and it's not my gut my gut my gut doesn't know yeah. that this dude's about to pull a gun on us and try to kill us yeah right like that's something else that's something of a higher power that is somehow communicating and it's and it feels like it's in the gut yeah people feel their intuition in different places too yeah yeah, yeah. for sure I, i'm definitely a believer that intuition's guiding us at all times you know if you allow it and listen to it there you go right. yeah if you have the courage to kind of move forward with it you know what i mean yeah um, well and if you're you're actually connected to it because food like what you eat and what you consume uh, which is a huge part of the agenda, which we'll get into the, if you want to get into some free thinking, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, then that is something that they're trying to do is disconnect us from our intuition and then also 
pour fluoride into our water that then calcifies our pineal gland, which disconnects us from God as well. So, and then uh, constantly pump, pump propaganda in your mind. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah just yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, at what point? When did you decide to leave the arm or the military? Not military, the police. At what point? When was that decision for you? So, there's. It's interesting because I I've realized for a while I condensed a bunch of stories into one where I basically. There was there was two things that happened, right? The cover was blown. Uh, they basically were like every every car you've used is burnt. Nobody can ride with you. You're on the desk. And then there was also uh, another hit that was put on me that didn't really we didn't re- really believe that it was valid. But then they contacted my ex fiance, found out where she worked, where she went to school, and then all of a sudden it was like everything was piling up. And so that all happened Monday, right? Where and I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Tuesday, my that that same week that my cover was blown, my uncle reached out to me on Facebook. I hadn't heard from him in years. It's like, hey, just so you know, uh, New York State Troopers is hiring. I know you probably love your job up there, but just want to let you know, or down there, but just want to let you know. I was like, oh, thank you. My tattoos probably disqualify me. Uh, but good to look into. But it just brought my attention again to the idea of moving. And then Thursday, my ex-fiance's dad called me, and I was in, like, juvenile court about to testify, and he never calls me. He was, like, a he's like a fam- like famous singer for a rock band from, like, the 70s. He's, Your like, uncle? still touring. No, my ex's uh, father. Okay, okay. Gotcha. So he calls me, and... It's like, hey, just want you to know, I, ha- I just had uh, lunch with Sam, which is my ex's name, and I want you to know, like, you need to get your shit together. She's gonna leave you. He's like, I love you. You've treated her and taken care of her better than I could have ever asked any man, and I didn't know you guys were so, like struggling so bad. So I'm just calling to tell you, get your shit together. Yeah, that's real. That's love. Right yeah, there, yeah, yeah. And so all this stuff piles up, right? I go home that night, and I'm sitting in the mirror, 50 pounds overweight, staring at a man that I don't really believe in, I don't trust. Uh, all I see is a pile of broken promises. You didn't like what you saw in the mirror at the time, huh? No, I yeah. mean, and I had become this angry just depressed person and i didn't like being in public around people i was always paying attention to people's hands and looking at their waist to see if they had a gun on them and i was just like i was always in survival mode but what i saw in there was a was a man that i didn't set out to become a man i wasn't proud of i was almost proud of him but the last year i completely went the opposite way and I knew that, like, if I keep going this way, I'm going to end up dead. Whether I finally build the courage to pull the trigger myself or another man does or health fucking issues kill me. I'm already flirting with death for my job itself. And my mental state is increasing the probability that I'm going to end up dead. And so she came home on Friday from... um, Thanksgiving in Nashville and she walks in the door 
and I asked her, do you want to move? And uh, she said, yeah. And she didn't really believe me, but her bags were already packed. She was leaving either way. This is whether I was going with her or not. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And she said, yeah. And so I then realized I was a half to throw. I was have to put together a resignation letter to give to my SWAT commander, who was like the most. If I've been intimidated by any man ever, it really would have only been him. Yeah. He was like six five for his fiftieth birthday. He fucking benched five hundred pounds. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he just like he couldn't be fucked with. He didn't mess with the politics and the bureaucracy of the department. People couldn't tell him what to do. So, like, you really fucking respected him. Yeah, you, were, you and, respected him. That's why you were into, probably a little bit, like, scared to go and, you know, Well, down. that and it's like, he, they chose me and to be a, a part of this unit that's the cream of the crop. They fucking bet on me. They invested in me. And now, a year or so later, I'm pulling out. Uh, and so, it was probably the hardest thing I had to do because I was, I was really just... I was af afraid of the judgment of all these guys that I would imagine it's like a brotherhood too, you know, yeah, the police. Yeah. yeah I would imagine. And even that team, that entire team, I was afraid of what they were going to think because they also, when I, when I sat down for that interview, I walked in and it wasn't just the tiger unit. It was also the vows unit. So it was about 50 guys in the, in the war room for my interview. And okay. I walked in all around this one table and, uh, I'm sitting there and the SWAT commander's not in there. They start the interview, and all of a sudden, I hear the door open up behind me, and he ends up walking up, grabs a chair, pulls it. I'm I'm sitting here. I, you got this room full of men that are all about to ask you scenarios-based questions in the interview. I'm nervous as shit. He pulls up, literally puts his face right here with a styrofoam cup, and he's just spitting his Copenhagen into his, and his cup. Doesn't say a fucking word to me. I was just one of those guys that just like, he really wanted to make sure that was the right one. And then they chose me and so did every one of those guys in there. And so it was, it was really hard to walk away and do what was best for me and not truly not consider what was best for everybody else, mm -hmm. which at the end of the day probably was what was best for them too. Because if I wasn't mentally there, then something bad could happen to me or to them. Yeah, no, for sure, man. So, Let's transition um, after the after leaving the the police SWAT team. You got you got into coaching, the coaching business, consulting business. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, man. I'm super interested to hear about how you got started in that and what you've learned from it and just everything involved with it. Because I know you got a lot of cool stuff going on with that as well outside of the I Believe in You company. So if you want to dive into that, I'm super interested to hear what got you started in wanting to coach people. You know? Yeah, I appreciate consulting, uh consulting and all that. So I, I actually started in affiliate marketing uh, okay. with a like high ticket direct sales company. So maybe a month later, I started my first business, which I didn't by no means was that a part like of my plan. But I a month later after leaving the police. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I moved up to Buffalo thinking, you know, I got all my college buddies up there. It'll, it'll be a place where I'll feel like. I can easily integrate back into normal life, I guess, mm. and which I was wrong. And uh, I ended up watching an online webinar, first one ever, and sure enough, broke out the credit card and got into this entrepreneurial community. And the first uh, video I watched uh, was a guy delivering some training, which is now my now business partner, Joey. Uh, so I ended up 
taking out my 401k, supplement retirement plan, every dollar I had, I put it all in on this business. I just like, again, following my intuition. Yeah. Right. And took the last bit of money I had, booked a one-way flight to London to, to meet him in person, see him speak on stage. And from there we connected. I ended up infiltrating this like circle of executives with, with that company and ended up traveling the world with them, building my company as well as helping them build theirs for that entire year. Ended up doing like 14 countries through 2019. Ended up in Barcelona for the last three months of 2019. And during that time, uh, an opportunity came up for me to get my international uh, coaching certification with the Coaching Masters. Okay, gotcha. And so that was something where I was already, it was already on my radar, but when that came up, it was like, cool, I have so much experience around discipline and performance and uh, execution, threat assessment, and applying that to goals and uh, pursuit of goals and all these things. I'm like, okay, well, I, can, I could apply this to helping entrepreneurs uh, with coaching, and I also, throughout that year, did a lot of internal work, a lot of healing to overcome a lot of the uh, depression using the alcohol use that was something that i really i did 75 hard broke that for me so oh, I did, yeah. i've done 75 hard twice uh maybe three times now and that first time was really like that was the first time i'd gone 75 days of not drinking alcohol since i was probably like 13 years old yeah. right so uh that was really what helped me break it That's beautiful. Um, so i ended up getting the certification very quickly i immediately was like oh shit i'm I'm good at this. I'm, I'm already getting clients like six weeks in. How did you start getting your first clients? Just my, my network, the people, people that I with. was around. They knew I was going through the program, and they would bring stuff up because just a normal conversation. They'd bring up something they were going through, and I would lightly like use what I was learning even that day, and all of a sudden we're like at dinner, but they're crying. I'm like, I gotta stop doing this when we're out in public. But I was seeing results quickly, and they were giving me really good feedback. And so I ended up launching my first offer shortly after I graduated from that uh, accreditation and big old goose egg. Yeah. No, no clients, no interest whatsoever. But uh, I ended up launching again, got some clients, and then we ended up getting kicked out of, not kicked out, but our visas were up in Barcelona. So we ended up coming to Scottsdale. Shortly after that, uh, we launched a company conversions uh which was coaching and consulting and helping coaches helping so coaches scale. at the time when we started it was coaches course creators service providers really anybody that was a high ticket offer because really our area of expertise was uh, marketing and sales copywriting just generating leads and, and closing so we were teaching that uh in a space that was just starting to pop off and so we did that for, we were using Facebookers at the time, scaled that to about 60K a month. And then a few of our business partners walked away, leaving me and Joey with a bunch of clients and debt and all sorts of stuff and uh, put us in a position where we had to learn all the other areas of the business we hadn't touched yet. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which we're very grateful for. But so yeah, co the, the coaching and consulting company was what we eventually evolved into growth consulting. So we would basically partner with a company and go in, act as partners 
for six to 12 months, they'd pay us 30, 50K up front plus 15% revenue share for the term of the contract. And we'd walk away from meetings with to-dos and actually help them scale. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of where we left it. That was the, the last offer we had, we had scaled was that. Um, but of course, throughout that journey, that's when Braxton came into the picture and IBOI became a thing. And okay. then that was really what, what pulled at our entire heart. So everything else just became a, uh, stepping stone or a band-aid or a temporary thing and bring it up to now um i don't know if you have any specific questions about that before i could yeah I, uh, I wanted to ask you do you do any um like are you still doing coaching i am yep. yeah so and are you doing like group coaching or are you doing any one-on-one -on -one coaching both both okay yep. what are if some let's say somebody comes to you and like they want to join your your coaching program what are, what are some of, like, the key philosophies that you focus on? You know, it's, let's just say this person's, like, down and out. Like, they're, they're at ground zero, careers in the shit, physical health in the shit. Like, what are some of the key philosophies that you focus on? First thing is taking responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I, oh. And I see you talk a lot about that, and that was one of the things that I really I really like about one of your messages is keeping your agreements. I figure we can go into a little bit a little bit into that. But so, yeah, continue with, like, some of your key philosophies which, with your coaching. I'm, I'm real curious to, to – to know what that is so just so it makes sense like really <clears throat> the three elements is a, the ktg system is keeping agreements taking responsibility and giving recognition so it's the keeping of agreements is really simplifying discipline discipline tends to be this macro concept that feels discouraging it's this big mountain to climb especially if you just really struggle with it and you struggle with executing consistently at all then the idea of developing discipline it's just like it's it's very difficult what to do i actually do? yeah yeah i got you <clears throat> yep so for me i you know we, we discussed a little bit earlier off camera that you're really into the fitness side of things for me my health and fitness journey has been a roller coaster and that one year and a half really made the, the last five very difficult for me right and so you can get off track real quick and yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so for me, I did 75 hard multiple times, right? I did all these different challenges. I hired fitness coaches and all these things. And, and I'd make a bunch of progress, but I'd somehow always find my way back to the starting line or close to it. And so like 75 hard was great. It really was. But the containers allowed for my ego my ego could carry me through that container and, and push me because I couldn't take the L, right? I'd, I'd have to finish. Yeah. But once I was done, it's like a rubber band stretched so far. And then eventually you snap back to the original form. Yeah. And so that continued to happen. And so I was getting frustrated. I'm, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars on coaches, I hire a subconscious programming coach thinking, okay, if there's a whole rubber band thing, then maybe there's something in my identity that's just bringing me back, bring me back, bring me back. And I was, everything taught me something. Everything gave me a tool that I invested in. Everything helped me change and evolve and learn something, but none of it was sustainable. Couldn't stick it. It was, couldn't stick, yeah. Yeah, it was just too complex and, and it just wasn't a system. None of it provided a system that if you did fall off, it was so simple to get back on track and just pick up where you left off. So, I had between some of these mentors, one of my mentors taught me really like helped me change the way I think 
which is everything. And through that, I kind of came up with this theory of like, okay, what if all I did was focus on making an agreement with myself and keeping it? Because the, the, the big realization I had is, okay, belief is built and destroyed the same exact way by either keeping or breaking your agreements. Every time you say you're going to do something and you do it, you layer on more belief, more trust, more confidence. Every time you break an agreement, you strip away whatever level of confidence, belief you do have. So you strip a layer of that away. And so based off that, it's okay. If I just make the agreement, strategic agreements that I know if I do it long enough or a, a rational long, uh, amount of time, I would eventually hit my goal, then all I need to do is make those agreements and actually focus on keeping them. So this theory, I just, I really just had this theory of like, if all I do is focus on keeping these agreements long enough to see results, I'll see them. And that is how I think I can finally create this change in my life. So that's what I did. I just focused on health and fitness. I made the agreements to myself and I kept them. Now, the part that was tough is like life happens and you eventually have to break certain agreements. So then it was a matter of figuring out how to break agreements without it doing damage to my confidence, trust, and self-belief. And through trial and error, figured out that if you acknowledge the breaking of the agreement immediately, or as soon as you know that you're going to have to break the agreement, acknowledging it, taking responsibility for it, and then renegotiating it, then that will stop from the internal debt will stop the internal damage from happening okay gotcha. so say for instance i tell myself that i'm, I'm doing a, a 16 hour fast each day which i'm doing right now and at the end of the day i realize i also i'm one of my other agreements is to get in a certain amount of calories i haven't got my amount of calories in, and now my time is up for my eating window i am going to I'm in a position where I'm going to end up breaking one of my agreements. I'm either going to extend my eating window or I'm going to not get the amount of calories in that I need for that day. So at this point, I'm acknowledging that I'm going to have to break an agreement. And me taking responsibility for that is, okay, I didn't meal prep on Sunday. And because of that, I would have to cook my meal, but my schedule was too busy to offer time for that. And uh, I failed to do X, Y, Z. And because of that, it wasn't because, oh, like, uh, you know, I got stuck in traffic for an hour on the way home and then it hit it and so on. It's because I mismanaged my time. I did this. Yeah. So acknowledge, take responsibility, and then renegotiate. So I, in, in the renegotiation, I look at, okay, it's not, my eating window stops at nine o'clock. I, I need another 850 calories. I'm going to extend it till 8.30, I'm sorry, 9.30. And then because the goal isn't necessarily about the eating window, but it's about the fast because that's where the results is being delivered, then I'm going to push my fast to, you know, 30 minutes more the following day. So I can't eat until instead of, one o'clock, it's one thirty. 
but to make sure that I'm now not continuing to extend that, now moving my eating window and everything to a cycle where now everything's thrown off, my eating window just has to be shorter that following day. Because I'm renegotiating, that new agreement becomes a non-negotiable. And that is how you break an agreement without it doing damage to your self-belief and confidence. So through this, right, I basically this theory, I figure out the really the power of keeping agreements. Yeah. And that was that was really the problem all along is I wasn't I wasn't respecting agreements for what they were. Yeah. For the power they had, uh, for the power of what they could do for us or to us by either making, keeping, or breaking the agreements. So that was really the first element. And that was really what I set out to prove. And really just in one area of my life. So it was really just health and fitness. And really more so fitness because I had, through my childhood, some experiences that I wasn't like really fat or anything, but my friends were in better shape than me. And because kids are shitty, they make fun of you. And so I ended up developing a really bad relationship with my body and food to the right. point where I went up until two years ago when I started dating my current girlfriend, not really ever allowing myself to eat sweets and shit. But she's has such a sweet tooth that I've, I've, and I've been doing some healing that obviously <laughs> now I allow myself to, right? So that's how my girl is, bro. She, yeah. yeah she's, <laughs> Every night she's, yeah, she's getting yeah. a little bit of ice cream, you know? So, <laughs> so I. I really focused there because that was an area that was impacting my confidence. Now I'm I'm single, right? I'm uh, really just trying to focus on myself, and I know where there's some insecurities, where I'm self-conscious, and so I'm I'm going to focus on fitness. I'm going to focus on just keeping my agreements there, and through that, I end up getting in the best shape of my life. So I was like, okay, cool, I did it here. Now I want to go do that in business because that was the other thing is like I couldn't get my money right. Yeah. And so then I applied keeping my agreements to business. So it's like, okay, what are the three, what's my goal? What are the, the two to three things that I need to do every single day in order to move the needle in my business towards that goal? Okay. Uh, create conversations, put out content and engage. Cool. So how much of that do I need to do each day for it to be irrational for me to hit my goal? Cool. Those are my agreements. Then it was just me focusing on keeping them. Eventually, now all of a sudden, I'm making more money than I really ever have, at least in business. And so, I, and it wasn't a crazy amount. It was maybe like maybe 7,500 bucks a month. But that consistently was great for me as an entrepreneur who had been on a whole roller coaster and had way too many months of just beans and rice and, and you know, negative bank account over and over yeah. again, right? So I then validated it there. Okay, cool. So now health, fitness, Business is great. I'm my habits are great. I'm now I'm like known for discipline. Now at this point, I've been known for years for discipline, cold showers, like those different like habits. It's just all stacking on peak top performance. of each other. Yeah. Yep. And so from there, then it was like, okay, well, I'm in Scottsdale now, and I'm single, but I there's this whole thing internally where I just like. There's tens everywhere. I've got all these opportunities, but yeah, you're shit I'm, together now. You're in good shape. But but I but I wasn't like I wasn't interested. Yeah. I like there was still work to be done. 
on this man for him to be like ready to put energy into another human or uh, putting energy into integrating my life with another woman's. Mm. And so, excuse me. So I stayed single and like didn't date and even mess around for like two years. And of course, like I'd pop into the dating scene. I'd be like, okay, I still got it. I'm good. (laughs) But then I'd I'd pop right back out and I would just go to work on the areas that I still felt insecure. And that kind of brings in the whole concept of taking responsibility. If there's something that I feel internally that I'm not happy with, nobody can change that. Nobody, there's no way that somebody else can fill that void for me. Nothing. So I have to take responsibility for that. And so the time came where I just was at this breaking point. I was just this whole peak performance thing. Every morning I'm fucking up at 4 a.m. and I'm doing this, this, and this. And then I'm just all day long just executing. And nothing was really changing too much. And I hit a breaking point where I decided, okay, I'm going to go spend time in Mexico by myself. So I spent seven weeks in Mexico by myself just on this kind of spiritual journey, just finding time to kind of work through the last few things that I needed to before I stepped back into the dating world. And through all of that, all of that work internally is about keeping agreements. So there was a program that I was going through uh, that was helping me change the way I think. It was really rewiring my brain because I had gotten so, for so long, I was always prepared for something bad to happen and really had to reprogram my brain to start preparing for something good to happen. Mm. And I became a dork about quantum physics and manifestation and really started to understand how it truly works and... From there, I realized like, okay, well, I can take the action all day that's aligned with my goals. But if my thoughts aren't actually in alignment with that, that are projecting and, and the, what's actually the magnet, then I'm not going to be able to create what I want in my life. You got to have both. Yeah. So when it came to the internal work for, for that, for me to get to a point where I could even start dating, let alone consider being in a relationship, I had to make the right agreements to myself and keep them. And through that, I got the results that I wanted. I come back from Mexico, and the kid is ready. Yeah, I'm I'm back in the game, and <laughs> the kid was ready. <laughs> it was it was it was wild because because like I I went two years where I wasn't trying to date at all, and and before that, in my the last year of my relationship, I didn't even feel wanted in my relationship, which is really hard to admit as a man. For sure. And I come back from Mexico and I really, I knew I kind of checked the last boxes of the shit that I needed to work through because first time I'm out at a bar, I see a woman that I'm interested in and there was zero hesitation. There was no hesitation whatsoever. I immediately walked straight up to her and introduced myself. And next thing I know, uh, I got a date scheduled for the following day. And then that was just happening. And so I was going on dates multiple times a week, probably like six weeks maybe, maybe even less. And it was like, nope, nope, nope. Like it was not finding anything that was like, okay, I'm willing to uh, really sacrifice time and, and energy to put and put it into somebody else. And then I met Donna 
uh, and the building next door was where uh, first time we we had oh, met. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the apartments right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, what a coincidence. Yeah, and so that was great because it was exciting. I'm like, she checks all the boxes, at least from what I see, and it really, really started to to hit it off, but. Uh, it also very quickly exposed all the things that I couldn't have worked on alone. Right. Yeah. I could only work on in a relationship. Yeah. And every man says he wants to date a ten. <laughs> yeah. Until he's dating a ten. Yeah. And all yeah. the insecurities and anything that he hasn't worked through it, it surfaces, and very much he's faced with with several demons that he has to work through. So. Man, that's facts. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's things that you're not going to get exposed to. If you're not like in a relationship, you know, especially with a beautiful woman, you know, yeah. that'll expose you for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it did. It did. Because uh, we'd be, we'd go to a party or to a gathering and, uh, or just to the mall, out to a restaurant, and everywhere we'd go, dudes would be staring at her. And some would be respectful, of course, but there's also dudes that weren't. And dudes that would, would even at like the mall, it would say something. And I'd want to throw him over the fucking railing, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and I can see you wanting to do that, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Because <laughs> at the time, to me, it was a matter of uh, disrespect to me. Yeah. And growing up in an area where I was the only white kid, and like the 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 dudes that were saying shit at the mall were black dudes, which like whatever it doesn't really matter. But the reality is that's what it was. Yeah. And for me, growing up in the uh, in the way that I grew up there was something I, I was in a position where I felt like I had something to prove. And uh, so I was getting in a lot of fights as the only white kid and really had to just be like, listen, I'm no bitch. Like if, if you have something to say, like you're going to catch his hands. And yeah. so that still, that was like weirdly being triggered for me. And it was like, there was, it was like, okay, another opportunity to grow the fuck up, dude. Like people are going to say shit. He, that man doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you respect like there's there's no there's nothing there's no contract there's no relationship there now if you know me and you know we're together and you do some shit like that yes you will get hurt right but like or like i will do everything in my power to make sure that that like you don't ever do something like that again yeah right that's like the mindset behind it but what was what it was bringing up is just insecurities for me yeah. uh, and that's the thing is like if you're reacting that way it's a lack of confidence. Facts, yeah. Facts, and so yeah. I had to face that because that's really what it, it wasn't respect. It, at the end of the day, it, it is, of, yeah. It was a lack it of is, confidence. It is, yeah. At the end of the day, it is. And I, I've been through the same kind of shit, man. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So that took a little while. Uh, you know, we'd be at the gym and dudes would be, I, you know, we weren't working out together. So dudes, we, I'd be watching dudes like, I'd literally be watching dudes work up the courage to go talk to her. I could see it happening. Yeah. And, and then some of them would and some of them wouldn't. And what I realized eventually when, when I finally was like really being faced with it so much was that there was only a few times that it actually bothered me. A lot of times it didn't bother me. A lot of times like I'd laugh or be like, yeah, I'd, I'd shoot my shot too. So there was, there was a lot of times where I, I could see my growth. But then the question became, well, what's different about that time and it wasn't about how they approached her or what was said it was the actual man and you're getting some real shit man yeah yeah for sure and then what i realized was 
the times that it bothered me, it was because the guy was in significantly better shape than I was. Bro. Yeah. So that came in yeah. and and with that there was i know any dude who's talking right now is gonna be like bro you're yeah that's that's facts. Yeah. yeah it is it is but like a lot of men don't want it's, i think it's a it's a biological thing almost maybe i don't know oh uh, for sure yeah for i sure. think it's just a natural thing like yeah yeah but yeah. yeah keep going man so so i i realized that and then as we were getting to know each other and our past relationships talking and learning some of the men that she had dated and the the, ma the man she had dated right before me was making eight figures. Everybody knows him. He's on my feet all the time. Even if I don't follow him, there's another account that is posting him. And so she talks about all these relationships and mo most of them, pretty much almost every one of them didn't bother me, but that one. Why? Well, it's because he checks a box that I don't feel like I can yet or that I actually can't yet. And so now I'm in a position where I'm being faced with two insecurities. What could I do? What could I do about it? Continue to argue, continue to tell her not to bring him up or don't text him or don't talk none to him, don't follow him, work, yeah. don't, don't wear any of the clothes that he bought you or that has a brand that's associated with him or all this shit because all that was coming up. I wanted to say those things, right? And, uh, and I could continue to do that. But that's just going to destroy the relationship. So you, yeah. you can't win that way. So instead, I had to do the, the T of the KTG. I had to take responsibility. There is only one way for me to overcome this insecurity, and that is to create change within myself. I got to go make more fucking money. I got to I gotta make sure that I can pay the bills, that I can take care of, because I know he didn't let her pay for anything. And that fucking hurt, <laughs> right? That hurt. Yeah. And not only that, but there's nothing I can do about, uh, or the, you know, there's no excuse I can make for my insecurity as far as my own physicality and my physique. The only thing I can do is take responsibility for it. Go put in more fucking work. Yeah. Get get leaner. Yeah. Put on more muscle. Do the work and outwork those insecurities. That's the only way. Man, you really you really I just want to interject real quick. You're really hitting like a lot of a lot of uh pain points, I guess you could say. And I think one of the things that you're saying, bro, is like as men, we all have these insecurities. I mean, I'm sure every single person listening has some type of insecurity. 100%. And you can either let it ruin you, which a lot of people do. I'm sure you know people who have gone down that path and they're just no confidence. They're just, their overall outlook on life is just, they're done, right? Like mm -hmm. they don't have that drive. They just let it ruin them or you can let it motivate you and, and, you know, continue to build yourself and work on yourself. So 100%. And that's the thing. So like most men, if not every man has been jealous at some point. And it's interesting because when we talk about men, we use the word jealousy. When we talk about women, we use the word insecurity. But they're really the same thing. And so the the reality is like dudes are like, oh, like I don't I don't believe my girl should be friends with another man. Why? Because you're afraid. You are afraid that something is going to happen. Why you're afraid is there's a lack of confidence. Whether it's you feel like you don't check a certain box or there's just maybe you feel like you're not enough. like And it's not this – It's not. I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. 
that's from a place of compassion. There's things that have happened to all of us throughout our life, even just the way that our parents showed love to us that can create those insecurities. But that belief in itself is from or like the things that we as men say and like that we don't we don't believe that they should do that or we're uncomfortable with it and you know just the different ways that uh jealousy shows up in a relationship it's all from it's like the beliefs and morals or all of it is just an excuse and a mask for whatever the actual insecurity is it's pain within us that is triggered and requires healing and one of the best ways for us to do that is actually take responsibility for it because although somebody else may have done something to hurt us in the past once we become aware of it it is now our responsibility to heal because hurt people hurt people so we can either continue to be hurt and as a result hurt others as well as our our significant other and the people around us or we can do the work I want to say something about the jealousy and the the relationships and and all of that. I think there's always going to be somebody who makes more money than you. There's always going to be somebody who's taller, who's more jacked, uh, all of these things, right? I think, and I want to get your take on it. I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I think to a certain extent, especially in relationships and, and like with the confidence and the jealousy with that whole situation, like I feel like you have to have a certain level of detachment. And I think just like, not like you don't care, but I think you have to have a certain level of detachment. Like, at the end of the day, as a man, if something happens with my relationship, I'm good. Mm. Like, it's not going to ruin me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love this girl. I, I would die for her. But if she left me for another man, I'm good. Like, I, I love myself. I'm, I have that, like, internal love no matter what happens with any type of relationship. I feel like you have to have – it's almost like – it's just – it's almost like a deeper level of spiritual growth. Like, it, it's not about the muscles. It's not about the money. It's not about mm-hmm. any of that. I know at the end of the day, life is short. I'm going to die one day. If I lose this girl, God forbid, man, like, it is what it is, you know? Yep. A certain level of detachment. I, I don't know what you think about that, but. So I agree, but I think that you can't reach that detachment without confidence and self-belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it comes so, from. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In order to get to a place of detachment, you have to manually build self-belief overcome those insecurities so that's where it's like when i like not to go too deep into the ktg system but like with the guys i have in the war room right now uh which i'm probably going to rebrand the name of it because i found out that somebody else has something like that and i didn't know i just named it after the war room that Mm -hmm. we did our briefings in yeah um but the results in their relationships and their dating life is way more than I could have expected. Really? We're only a few weeks in. And that's that's like one of the big things that you've seen so yeah. far as the yeah. relationship. And, and it's and it's it's because so they're they're keeping their agreements every single day. They have a significant amount of agreements, uh, which it's carefully designed to make sure that it's set up for them to win because success breeds success. And each time you keep an agreement or hit a goal, that uh, positive momentum cycle propels you into uh, achieving the next one. Right. So it's set up very. Uh, specifically, but with that, they're showing up differently every day. So the woman seeing them show up with a different energy. So they're initiating sex more. Mm. They're more drawn to them, right? Then they're taking responsibility for shit. I gave a gave an example the other day to them. This was just a silly one, but it's funny and it's anybody could relate to it. But 
Don and I were eating dinner out on the balcony and I had to get in all my, my calories in my last meal because I had such a crazy day. So I had this fucking giant bowl and she had her normal size meal. So she finished soon and, or sooner than I did. And she got up and went inside to put her plate away. And she had the, the seat that had the great view of the sunset and she typically does. And so I said, Oh, like I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the, the good views since you get it all the time. I could have just, I just could have just sat there and not said anything. Right. But I said that and she's like, Oh, you like, you've gotten it before. I'm like, yeah, once. And she's like, no, like you've definitely had it at least twice. And at this point now we're bickering or yeah. something so stupid. Yeah. And I'm like, you're literally bickering with me. And she's like, she was bothered by that, obviously. Um, and like kind of understandable that <laughs> because I actually started it, but it was like this whole thing. I I shut the the door and we're just like we knew like it was kind of a silly thing that was had potential to escalate into something that didn't need to be, and so we took a second. I sat out on the balcony and worked through to the point where I'm like, okay, why is this all my fault? This, which is typically the question I ask myself when anything painful or, or stressful or uncomfortable happens so that I can immediately take responsibility for it. So I'm con trying to condense the time between pain and how long that suffering lasts to taking responsibility, taking recontrol over the situation, and then taking action on it. And so I asked myself that, and dude, the battle with the ego, it's so stupid. But I, at the end of it, I finally walked in, and I'm like, okay, I could have just sat there in that seat and enjoyed the view, but instead I made a comment. So I apologize. It's my fault. Like the entire thing was my fault. Yeah. And it's something so small, but the level of appreciation and respect that is developed in a relationship when you take responsibility on both sides, but as a man, we only focus on what we can control. That is where a very strong relationship and strong communication is developed. And so now in very small things in their relationships, they're taking responsibility, but they're also taking responsibility for big things. They're taking responsibility for their own insecurities, their own triggers, their own poor reactions that they may have picked up from their dad when they were a kid. Like I still, when I'm moving shit around, like moving my house to an apartment or furniture or hanging shit on the wall and I do it with somebody else, I have the same trigger that I picked up from my dad because I watched it a million times where he, he takes out his frustration on the person he's doing it with. And because I know that, I choose to try to do those things on my own. And if I don't, I will try to ground myself before I go into it because I don't want to take it out on somebody because it's not their fault. It never really is, ever. It's difficult to do that shit. Yeah. Um, but it creates such an opportunity for those triggers. And so now they're, they're keeping their agreements. They're taking responsibility. And because uh, belief and confidence is so important for them to lead in a relationship and also lead in their own lives... They're learning how to give and receive recognition and giving recognition to themselves. So that way- That's it's, the last part of your- Yep. yep. And so it's, it's a full loop here. So the keeping and uh, the making and keeping of strategic agreements, not only is uh, if they do it long enough, it's, and it's so simple it's, it, and sustainable that if they do it long enough, they're going to create change in any area of their life. That in itself is going to skyrocket their confidence the taking responsibility takes their power back. Because anytime we blame somebody else for anything, 
When you point the finger elsewhere, you are giving your power to that thing. You're giving it away. The analogy I use, uh, when you point your finger elsewhere, the uh, finger becomes a loaded gun and the projectile becomes your power. And you're giving it away. Uh, so they're building their personal power every time they take responsibility for anything. So now they're looking for opportunities to take responsibility. Right? And, and now they're training themselves to do that. And then every time they do that, that also opens up an opportunity for them to give themselves recognition because it is an area that most likely before they, they couldn't take responsibility. Their ego got in the way. They blamed somebody else for it. They gave their power away. And now they're, they're doing something that they are very proud of. And so that is also building their confidence, self-belief, and the trust that they have in themselves, their integrity, right? And then if they break an agreement and they acknowledge it and they take responsibility and then they renegotiate it, it also creates an opportunity for them to, uh, to give recognition, right? Gotcha. And, well, if they, and if they break it, they also put that into the taking responsibility element as well, which kind of brings them to a whole process. So, yeah, and it's, dude, it's, I mean, I use this system to systematically change every single area of my life. And now I'm just learning how to best integrate it into other men's lives because I know that it's going to work. And now it's obviously being validated with the results the guy's already having. And so, yeah, it's going well and I'm excited. Like we got, we're, we're crying on the call. I think third call. And at the end of it, the guy said, I love you to each other. Like, which is like really cool to me. It's like, like, all right, love you guys. You guys have like a great night. Like these guys just met, just met. And like the camaraderie and the brotherhood and like the support and like the wins and everything. It's just so powerful. Yeah, bro. Yeah. I think what you're doing, man, it's a, it's needed in today's world. You know, it really is. Like, I think obviously women have their own problems and everything like that, but I think men definitely like in this society, like with everything going on, it's almost like, you know, being a man is like looked down upon, like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they want us to be weak. They want us to be, they don't want people like talking like about this, you know? Yeah. So man, I think, I think everything you're doing is is super dope. There's one topic I want to kind of go over real quick. Okay. Um, we brought it up earlier and, uh, I I didn't plan on talking about this, but intuition. And, um, I think intuition is something that you don't learn in school. Nobody really teaches you anything about intuition, even in like religion i mean i don't know they don't really talk about intuition at least from what i've seen and i feel like as i get a little bit older start learning more about myself and the world intuition continues to like become more and more of a bigger thing you know and and being courageous enough to follow your intuition i feel like looking about like looking back at my past year i've been purposefully trying to follow my intuition and just do what i think is the right thing and how would you say you can really tap into your intuition? We talked a little bit about it, but if you could expand on it, I think it's just such an important topic, you know, and something that very rarely I, I don't hear too many people talking about. So I think you would have a good a good grasp on it if you, if you want to expand on it a little bit. Yeah, it's a great question. When it comes to your intuition and increasing your connection, your ability to translate what it's saying, all of that, I think that there's a bunch of different angles to come at it from i think there's the the nutrition side of it which is really like eating like when you're eating processed foods and uh chemicals and refined sugar and things of that nature that's uh destroying or drinking alcohol consistently it's destroying your gut health and alcohol is probably the worst man dude uh, <laughs> yeah. i i very seldomly have a couple of drinks now and it's also it, it destroys your sleep 
which then sets you up for failure the next day, lower performance. And if you're, that's a, oh gosh, let's, let's circle back to a conversation I had with myself recently where I had to face the fact that I set, I say I'm, I'm pursuing greatness, but some of my habits say otherwise. That's maybe, might be a good place to, to end it all. But, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. so there's a nutrition part of it. So, uh, very simple is like, stop consuming alcohol or consuming a lot of it or regularly and eat whole foods, right? Increasing your gut health, decreasing inflammation. It really is uh, as simple as that. It, that in itself will like, there's probably people, honestly, people that have never felt intuition. They don't know. They don't even understand. Like, like They're so foggy. Like it's so foggy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, um, that's what people describe that fog. That's what it is, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that, there's the, uh, you know, type of water you're uh, drinking, like Mountain Valley. Get some, get some of that. I don't get paid for this, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Mountain Valley or Kangen water, like the a magic machine, but with like a pre-filter, is something that you can do to really start to remove some of the stuff from the water that they put in for whatever reason. But that it does calcify your pineal your pineal gland and harden it. Uh, which disconnects you from source, from God, from uh, being able to receive guidance. So there's the nutrition aspect of it. I think it's funny because I was like, I don't want to draw everything back to the KTG system or belief and and trust and whatnot. But I think no, it's real though. When it yeah, co- yeah real, when yeah. it comes to following your intuition, even just uh, listening to it and even considering it the amount in which you trust yourself to follow it, let alone follow through with it yeah, plays a huge role. So like you can, somebody could be telling you that you should go do this thing. And you're like, oh, I don't think that that's the right way to go about it. And you're like, I feel like I should do this. But if you don't trust yourself, a lot of times any, any man that finds himself in a size, I've had a lot of clients, men that like, who are even honestly, unfortunately, leading other men and sh- and necessarily shouldn't be, are indis- very indecisive, and it's because they don't trust themselves. So there, that immediately removes your ability to really follow your intuition or have the courage to. Now, maybe there's this uh, element of it where if your faith and your belief in God, source, and the guidance that uh, that you are provided and, and how you're supported and your spirituality is very deep, then maybe, maybe. But intuitionally points you in the direction. It doesn't give you all the steps. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah, and so you can follow your intuition and, you, like, and know, okay, this is the direction I'm going to go. I'm going to pursue this. But the how has to be done through actions, consistent actions done long enough in order to see the results. And most people struggle there, both men and women. Everybody looks like they have their shit together, dude, and not like a very high percentage are struggling with that exact thing. And so your intuition becomes even more valuable the more you actually build your own ability to make and keep your agreements and layer on more self-trust and more belief. 
because then it's like, cool, I got the direction, I'm sprinting. Zero, zero gap and, and, and no hesitation. Like that's, for me, that's where, where I'm personally at is like, okay, if something feels good, there's, it's really like no, and sometimes it's, it's scary, but there's no thought. It's like, cool, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we just are changing direction. Here yeah. we go. Cause you're kind of in tune now. Like you're in tune yeah. And, yeah. and you're not afraid to take those, take those steps. Yeah. Because I know that I'm going to follow through and execute on them. And, and if you fuck up, you'll take responsibility, you know? Cause yeah. obviously like, it's not going to be a perfect road to where, you know, your intuition is following you. So if you do fuck up, you're going to take responsibility. You're going to learn from your mistakes. Bada bing, bada boom. And you're on, you're, you're on your way, you know? Yep. Yep. So yeah, your system really does. It, I like it, bro. Yeah. You thank got, you. you I appreciate good, it. You I, got a really I, good I, philosophy behind you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to get into more people's hands and, and use it to create a lot more change in people's lives. Cause I really do believe in it. Um, the one last thing I'll say on the intuition. Uh, so a lot of people think like, Oh, like until I'm making this much money, People aren't going to listen to me, and and to an extent, like I've like money, with that, bro. Yeah, money does give you more authority. Like I have, I check every other box, but I don't have a shit ton of money yet. I own a company that's worth three million dollars, but that doesn't. It's not something that makes me wealthy right now, right? Um, so, but our first investor, Stefan George, I, right, when we were starting to interview uh, app developers. We interviewed the guys that made the Netflix app and uh, the Nike app, Starbucks, the weather app, fucking all, all, any of the apps that we have on our phone. We interviewed so many people. And eventually he had us get on with some of his guys that he owns another company with that are app developers. And pretty much anybody up to that point was no, 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 no. Even though they had so much on paper looked really good my gut was telling me no and we get on with his guys and it was screaming no really and it's coming from a trusted source but i got off and and my other two partners uh joey and braxton were both like and i'm like i'm sorry guys but and they trust me spiritually like they they know that i'm a little bit uh, more connected and i'm like it's a fuck no it's a fuck no dude and I can't explain it, and I hope you don't ask me to because I can't. But it's a it's a hard no. And I'm like okay. And then we we called Stefan to let him know, and he immediately was like, it's, "If it's intuition, then he's like nobody's ever been upset about following. Like nobody's ever regretted following their gut." And so I say all that to say that an uh, uh, um, actual millionaire, somebody that has made millions and millions and millions of dollars and consistently makes millions of dollars trust in his intuition and follows it and also trust other people following in their intuition, knowing that if you do that, as long as you actually follow through and you take the consistent action and things of that nature, nothing can go wrong. You'll never regret following your intuition because it's guidance from a higher source that knows way more than you do. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't need to make sense logically, but that's also where people who are for, far more logical like like Joey uh, is very analytical. He's and he's he's still connected to his intuition, still absolutely follows it. But he ha- he because he now understands himself, he's able to navigate that more. But people that are super analytical and super on the logical side struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, and and as they have their spiritual development, that's when they start to to teeter and develop that where they can learn to balance the two. Um, but 
for me, I'm I'm not so much. I am much more on the the creative side. Yeah. And so I, I it hasn't been as much of a challenge for me besides like my own beliefs and rebellion against religion and shit growing up and stuff. So that's kind of like where your own journey plays a role in that. Gotcha, man. Man, there, there's so much I could talk about with you. I feel like I feel like I could sit here all night. Um, oh, maybe I'll just have to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll definitely, I'd definitely love to do this again, bro. Um, yeah. You got any final thoughts, man? Like, it, it, what are some goals you have for your system, for your for your program? With I believe in you, like, what are just some some things you got planned for the future that we can kind of recap? Really, the the KTG system. I just want to continue to validate. Uh, I really just believe that no matter what change you're trying to create in your life the simplicity like simplicity scales right simplicity is what's sustainable and so i really think that i've figured something out that can truly help both men and women i'm just focused on men right now but i'm about to launch something for women as well um, because i do have a way like a lot of my clients have been women so uh eventually i'll work with both in that but it's it very much supports ibiy because what it's building manually is belief and yeah. so we can give you a brace all day. We can tell you, I believe in you. And and that absolutely does offer some very powerful support. A great reminder every time you look down on your wrist. But when you walk into a business meeting or an opportunity presents itself or you find yourself unhappy and you're looking for uh, direction, and, like belief is what's needed. Belief is is a requirement of success. And so if I can give people a roadmap to build that shit to unshakable levels that I have finally gotten to and can very confidently say and and know that it was done manually, then the only thing I have to do is support people in the right way for them to do it long enough for them to build it themselves. And so that's really, like I remember what it was like standing in the mirror, feeling disappointed, angry at myself, not believing myself, not trusting myself, Worst wanting to tell myself, ever. oh my God, wanting to t tell myself I'd start Monday fucking over and over and over again. And on Monday, either I wouldn't or I would, but within a week or two, I'd, I'd fall off. And the the level of of just really depression that and, and doubt and self-defeating thoughts and just like low vibration that it created within me, I want to help as many people as I can not suffer like I did. Yeah, bro. And I, I, I personally feel like the personal development, everything you're teaching is like the cornerstone to everything, you know, because it's like I kind of uh, I wrote this out on like a journal of mine, but I wrote out like personal development is my number one focus in my life by far and away, because if I don't have that, I can't serve my family can't serve God, can't serve mm -hmm. you, anybody else, man. Like if I'm weak and I'm don't have any belief in myself, I'm just all of those things. Like there's nothing I can do for anybody. So before anything, bro, like what you're teaching, I feel like has to come first, you know, that belief, the discipline, the whole, the whole nine, you know, I feel I like it all, it's kind of an umbrella of like personal development, you know, and self-belief. So I, I really do think what you're doing is amazing, bro. Thank and you. Uh, I'm always going to be rocking with you and supporting you going forward, bro. And, uh, Man, I don't, I don't have anything else for today, but once again, I appreciate you, brother, and uh, look forward to catching up again in the future, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having yeah. me. Peace out, guys.